0: it may not necessarily be direction that we're looking for, but sometimes you already know what to do and the Lord just confirms to you. Or it may not necessarily be God confirming anything to you, but it has everything to do with him encouraging you in what has already been confirmed to you. So it's been spoken to you. You've been given direction. God has confirmed, but, God, maybe because you've been feeling weary, God seeks to encourage you, right? So we're always in a position where it's important to hear from the Lord, right? If we're not hearing from God, there's something wrong. Now, there's seasons of silence, no doubt. The Bible describes the Lord in Isaiah as the God who hides himself. So God intentionally hides himself for a purpose in some seasons. Other seasons, he manifests himself abundantly. In fact, it seems effortless that in some cases where the Lord just shows, him, shows himself mighty on your behalf. And the, 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 the presence of God is almost effortless in your life. But irrespective of what season we're in, it's important nonetheless for us to continue to press into God. And here's the thing that I've learned about the presence of God, whether online or whether in person, but it is universal that if we find our—see, God—see, what happens is this. Remember in the Gospels where they heard the voice of the Father— come down from heaven. There were three different people there. There were those who interpreted the voice from heaven as God's voice. That was the disciples. There were the religious people who had interpreted it as an angel's voice or an angel. And then thirdly, there were those who attributed this voice from heaven as thunder. What was the difference? The difference wasn't that they had witnessed anything differently The difference was this, that they interpreted what they had witnessed through their own perspective differently. And so in the same way, when God can show up and his presence be manifest and his word being spoken, but if you have a warped perspective, you're going to interpret, you're going to miss God. And it's not that God hasn't shown up. See, Jacob, he said this, he said, God is awesome in this place. It's like, what do you mean by that, Jacob? God is everywhere, right? And this is where a lot of Christians get so philosophical. They say God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. How is it? That you're going to single out this particular place and say God is awesome here, isn't He not awesome everywhere? But what and, and all that was there it wasn't like there was this glorious cathedral, and he he stand he stood in all of all that he had witnessed. Rather, what what was going on was all there was were stones. There's nothing glorious about stones, but see, God can show up in some of the most mundane, bizarre, common. Uh, even uh, ridiculous places. And because you're in tune with God, you can hear from him. You can see him. You can see him in nature. You can see him work with his mighty hand on our behalf. But once again, it requires for us to press in and to be sensitive to the voice of God. Be sensitive to the Lord. And so um, I, I preface with all that to say this, as we as we read this text, um, I want us to press into the Lord and ask God to speak to us specifically, to speak to our situations, and and if we have the perspective that says "nah, that's not going to happen," then it won't happen. And so, um. Let us pray. I, I invite all of our um, undivided attention to, at this at this point, and let's uh, let's ask the Lord, Father. We we thank you, Lord, for for who you are, God. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you, Father, for your grace. We thank you, Father, for who you are, Lord. We thank you for the cross. Lord, we enter into your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. Lord, we're we're thankful unto you and we bless your name. Father, your word says to bless you at all times and for your praise to continually be in our mouth. So, Father, I pray, God, that our hearts would be filled with gratitude. I pray that your presence would be manifest in this meeting. Father, I pray that you would um, bring into submission, Lord, every single uh, mind, every single perspective. God, I ask right now that you would bind every demon, every foul spirit that would try to rise against the knowledge of God. Holy spirit. I pray that you would break every single stronghold. Father, I pray right now by the power of the Holy spirit that Lord, that you would contradict the lies of the devil. Father, I pray that you would disperse every single lie that he has spoken to your children in order to ensnare, in order to deceive, in order to discourage, in order to, to uh, cause to back down in our fight against sin, against uh, wicked spirits, against um, though, uh, uh, not flesh and blood, but against principalities. Father, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus for your anointing. I pray for your power, Lord, to rest upon the spoken word. I pray for your power, Lord, to be infused into every single heart, Lord. I pray that you would encourage every single person that is discouraged, Father, inspire all those that have lost hope. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that your word, Lord, would be revealed to the consciences of your people. Father, give me prophetic utterance, Lord. Give me prophetic insight, Lord. Father, I pray that this would not just go over the heads of your people, and it would not just merely reach the head, but I pray it would reach the spirit and would break yokes and bondages off our souls. Father, give clarity, give direction, give comfort, give exhortation, give conviction if necessary, Lord. I pray, Father, discipline us, O oh Lord, more into your image, Father. I pray, Holy Spirit, even now, Lord, I pray, sir, uh, be as Velcro to your word, God, and empower my lips. May I speak from the Spirit, Lord. And, Lord, if, if in any case, Lord, you wish to detour this, Father, I pray that I would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Oh, God, I pray every single person in this group would get out of the flesh and we would tap into your spirit. Father, help us to reach the depths of what you have for us in you, your precious promises, oh, God. Holy Spirit, thank you. Help me, oh, Lord, to be dependent upon you, Lord, during this time. Give clarity, give direction, give guidance, give give wisdom. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me, Lord, not to speak my mind, but to say what what the Lord says. Help me to speak what you say, Father. Help me, Lord. May I be as a dying man preaching to dying men as if I can never preach again. Help me to preach in light of eternity. Oh, Lord, help me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hallelujah. So once again, for those that just have joined, I want to ask that we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I hope that this is the precise reason why we join. It's for God. God. And for the fellowship of the saints and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I want to be around those who want God. I'm not into doing church. I'm not into programmed and mere organized religion. I show det- uh, uh, contempt and disdain and, and mo- uh, uh, hatred for a godless religion. And you can have Christianity and still have a godless religion because it's not that God is out of, uh, outside of what you believe, but rather that God is not included. It's just, God has just become unto us a concept. But there's no living power. There's no lively relationship. Christianity has only become a mere philosophy to us. And for many others, it has become a culture. And others, it has become a business. For others, it has become an institution. But it has to be nothing less than relationship with the living God. So again, First Samuel chapter 30. And, and I want to give you context to a little bit about uh, uh, David, because we're going to be reading about his fight with the Amalekites. And, you know, there, there are many enemies that uh, David has conquered. And it's interesting because, see, and <laughs> the Lord always does this. You know, I'm, I'm trying to continue with the thought, and as, as I'm continuing with this thought, I get a thought within the thought because God wants to say something. Some of us are not where we want to be because we have not yet defeated the things that God needs for us to defeat in our lives. And in David's case, he had not yet come to fight Goliath. He had not yet come to fight the Amalekites until he had first defeated the things that had stood before him when he was still a little shepherd's boy. When he had defeated the bear, when he had defeated the lion. And I know sometimes this unfortunately has come to mean nothing more than a story suitable for kids in children's class. But I need you to understand that this lion is not this, it's not typified by this animation. You know, it's not this cartoon that you you read in a a Christian children's book. It is a real lion. And that lion typifies the devil. The bear typifies, it represents something greater than just that physical animal that David had defeated. And this was necessary for the time when he would eventually come to fight Goliath. And sometimes we want to graduate to a certain place in God. Sometimes we want to get to a certain place or get to a certain destination. But the problem is that you still have not yet defeated the other things that the Lord needs you to give attention to. And so we wonder why nothing transpires. Why we don't get to a particular place. And it's because we are ultimately becoming negligent. We're neglecting what God has originally originally said. God needs not to speak any further if we have not yet obeyed the first things he has told unto us. But David, he is a mighty man. He, he is a, a, a militant king. He is He has had experience, he's anointed of the Lord, he's called of God. And see, here is why... Here's what makes Christianity distinct from every other religion, because it is only within Christianity that God initiates a legitimate call upon your life. And he says that you are no longer going to live the life you used to live. You're no longer going to be where you used to be. You're no longer going to reside within the comforts and do whatever it is that you want to do. Everything else is but a false religion. But within Christianity and Christianity alone, God initiates a call in, in a similar way in which Jesus had called unto Lazarus and he said, come forth. And Lazarus had no other option but to come forth out of that grave. And so we as well, formerly, formerly within our lives, had grave clothes. We were good as dead. We were dead in sin and trespasses and God said, come forth. And the voice of the Son of God went forth, and he called us. For what? Just to leave sin? No. For much more than that, God called us not to just leave sin, but to get to somewhere. It is not enough that we left Egypt. The, the, the sole purpose of us leaving Egypt is for God to get us into a particular place that we would be peculiar people unto good works that we would reside in a heavenly country and david is called of the lord and 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 he's not only called of god into holiness but he's called unto the lord as an anointed king he's been set apart for a certain task are we set apart for a certain task today the call of god is much 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 greater than ourselves Whatever that means for our lives, God says, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And sometimes the picture is very obscure. We don't know all that it is that God wants us to do. And he just gives us these faint whispers, a still small voice. And he just says, here a little, there a little. We prophesy in part and we know in part. And if we are not careful to be attentive to those uh, whispers that God had originally spoken to us, we're going to miss the bigger picture. If you're faithful with the little that God has already said and has already done in your life, God will make us rule over a much. But David, he, he's a, a a man of war and he has had success in serving God. When I say success, don't, don't associate that with a worldly term, Well, you know, you know, success. Imagine some guy who gets a mega church or something like that. Not that sort of success. He had driven the enemies of the Lord out of certain lands and he began to conquer and he began to conquer this and conquer that. And, and, and he was a worshiper of God and he had no idols in his life. And yet, David is facing trouble, and here's why he's facing trouble. He's not facing trouble due to any sin of his own, but he's facing trouble because there is a real devil that seeks to bring opposition into your life, that seeks to oppose you, that seeks to uh, bring adverse circumstances in your life, to bring a slanderous people in your life, to raise up attention against you, to push back against you. I was just listening to Derek Prince the other day, and he, um, (laughs) you, uh, by the way, are we here? I I hope that. um, Most definitely, bro. I I hope that I'm not proclaiming among the dead. You know, someone asked Leonard Ravenhill and said, uh, "Do you pray for dead people?" He says, "I preach to them every Sunday." (laughs) I'm not implying you're dead, but I'm hoping that we're not dead. Let me get an amen. <laughs> amen or an lol or ouch that hurt i'm not saying we're dead so d- please <laughs> i just thought it was funny let me be human all right um but i was listening to derek prince and in ephesians chapter he, he was not Ephesians, yeah ephesians chapter six where it talks about putting on the full armor of god it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood and he says there's a lot of Christians in the pews today, they want to mess with the punctuation and the grammar within that text. And they want to per- put a period after we wrestle not. We wrestle not, period. We don't wrestle. <laughs> and that's the problem of American Christianity today. That's the problem of, the, of Christians today is that we do not wrestle. We associate Jesus' rest which he does give us rest indeed, we wrongly interpret that when we think that there is no fighting, there is no opposition, there is no gaining territory, there is no gaining land, there is no pushbacks. Paul says this, I had longed to go into Thessalonica, but the devil hindered us. He hindered us. Some will say, well, it's not, uh, isn't God sovereign? Doesn't he have enough power? Yes. But here's the thing. What we fail to realize is that God has all power. But the Bible says to him, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we may ask or think according to the power that is at work in you. Paul says, I praise God for his mighty working power that works through me mightily. So there is no uh, lack in God. Rather, the lack is in our recepti- receptivity to his power and the appropriation and the application of his power working through us. Therein lies the problem. We don't serve a bankrupt God. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a God that is powerless, that has uh, 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 we- uh, weak-wristed uh, hands, that's limping around. We have a mighty God, but what happens is that we are weak and we do not incline and press in unto him. We want to do it in our own strength. We want to do it in our own power. We want to do it with our own resources. But many times God is going to call us to a Gideon-like life and that he tells you to wage war, and he says, no, you have too many people. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. I'm going to call you as the smallest clan among the smallest people, among the weakest people, and despite the fact that you are weak and there's not many with you, even the little that you do have, I'm going to say that's too much, and I'm going to cut it out of your life. Why? Because if you gain the victory in war, the Lord wants to get the glory. He doesn't want us to boast. He wants There to be a witness in heaven on earth that can attest to the fact that there was nothing about you or I that had got us from A to B that has gotten us to the destination in which God wants to bring us. But David, he, he is a he's a mighty man, and he's conquered many victories, he's anointed of the Lord. But in this particular place, it's not of any sin of his own, because th- there are times that the Lord allowed for enemies to, um, to plunder the goods of God's people because of their sin. But what we will see is that David meets opposition, not because of some, something he has done in his past. But rather the devil is wreaking havoc because the devil wants to abort the plan of God on our lives. The enemy wants to terminate whatever is that God has put within us. And he doesn't want it to come to fruition. He doesn't want it to come to pass. And he will fight you tooth and nail. Oh, you better believe it. You better believe it. Because if what I'm saying to you right now doesn't make a believer out of you, the devil bringing opposition into your life would make a believer out of you. So let let us read. It says, now what, and I wanted to also say this, is that before he meets a problem with the Amalekites, He had previously run into trouble with the Philistines. And this is how sometimes you know you're in the will of God. is that you just get out of a problem and then you go right into a new one. And it doesn't seem like there's rest. And everywhere you turn, problems meet you. Not because of things you've done, but because of your obedience unto the Lord. It seems as if you cannot get a break. And here's the reason why is because the devil is prowling. He is as a roaring lion. He seeks for every opportune time. And if he cannot get you through these people, he's going to get you through this. And if he can't get you through that, he's going to get you through this. And everywhere you turn, fire is going to meet you. A problem is going to meet you. Opposition is going to meet you. Persecution will meet you. Yeah. Uh, yes. uh 1 Samuel chapter 30. So he just got out of battling with the Philistines. And now what he what happens is David, it says, now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. So the Amalekites raided David's camp. And so while David is attentive unto battling for the Lord, opposing and battling with the Philistines, and he's not in camp, he's hit at his most vulnerable time. He's hit, he's exposed, not because of his negligence, not because he was not strategic, not because he was not anointed, not because he was not intentional, but we're always met with some form of exposure that we did not see because the devil is that slick. And so, while we are being obedient to God and we're seeking to live uprightly before Him and conquer and take territory for the Lord Jesus, the enemy raids his camp. Thank God that no one died, but nonetheless, his goods and the children included, as well as the women, are plundered. They're taken. They're taken captive. And can you imagine? I mean, we read over this very quickly, but can you imagine if you were in that situation? I mean, some of us in this group would probably be resentful of God. God, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm battling for you. I'm, de- I'm, I'm walking obediently before you. I'm taking territory for your name's sake. I'm driving out these wicked people from the land just like you told me. And now I'm met with a problem And it wasn't because of me. Lord, why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you prevent this? Some of us would grow bitter. Some of us would grow angry. And it may very well be the case that there are some that have problems with God even now. Because something just did not go your way. Or you assumed that God would do something, or prevent something from happening. Maybe something tragic, and it happened anyways. You know, it was a sad story, man. I seen I seen on social media today, and a woman reading the Bible to her daughter was fatally shot. I don't know the context surrounding it. That's a whole nother level of suffering when you suffer for what is good. When you suffer for righteousness sake. And you can begin to be like Job, Lord, I don't deserve this. Why, why am I suffering? But we have to continue to remind ourselves that anything less than hell is grace anything less than God sending us to hell and having allowed us to die in our sins? Is grace, it's a mercy. But it, they're taken captive, and it says, And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives, and sons, and daughters taken captive. And not only other women and, and the children are taken captive, their whole city's burned. So you can imagine their livestock, their, 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 their way of living, their, their worldly and earthly comforts. They may very well not have made these things an idol, but I mean, it's, it's a misfortune and it is an inconvenience the, at the least to say that, you know, you're, you're, everything's burned up. Maybe well, maybe we just left and from a battle and we're victorious, and we're we're like, Yay, praise God, God got the victory. And then we see our, our countenances become discouraged because after we've just won a battle, now we're entering into another one that was unseen and unpredicted. And it feels like a low blow. But it says, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. They wept the the thing that the modern church has forgotten to do today is we don't weep we love we love many things we love mirth and we love happiness we and there's nothing wrong with all those things but the biggest problem I believe in the church today is that we're not weeping over sin. We're frolicking in it. We joke about it. We laugh at the things that God hates. And we're so insensitive to the voice of God, we're so insensitive and insulting to his holy spirit. We've made the the house of God into a circus. It's become a joke, and God is not there. And I know this. I've been in many churches. I've stepped foot in, and the moment I stepped a foot in there, I said, God is not here. He is talked about, but he is not here. Some may say that's arrogant to say. No, it's not arrogant when you're intimate with the one you know. true. And you better be able to discern when the Lord is somewhere and when he's not. You might say, well, I still don't believe that. Where's that in the Bible? Here I stand at the door and knock. That is a misconstrued verse. It's not talking about knocking on the door of a sinner's heart. Jesus was knocking on his own house, wanting to be let in among his people, but they kicked him out. They kicked the Lord out of his own house. He says, here I stand at the door and knock. If any man, if any pastor, if any backslidden elder will let me in, I will come in and dine with them and fellowship with them and commune with them. But the church doesn't want to open up the door of its heart because it wants to retain a form of godliness, but denying the intimacy and the power thereof. but they wept, they had no more strength. This goes to show that you can be a godly man or a woman, that you can love the Lord, you can be a mighty worshiper, you be anointed, and you still face times where all you can do is weep and you have no strength left in you. You're faced with so much pain. You're faced with some, so much turmoil and heartache. And there's no need to be fake and plastic about it. There's no need to fake it till you make it. <clears throat> the Lord wants us to be transparent and real and honest about our feelings. He said he had no more strength, and and they wept. It says David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam and and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his own sons and daughters. Does that not make matters worse? So not only has David just b- become exhausted from waging war against the Philistines. He comes into his camp and he's met with turmoil. <clears throat> he's met with billowing uh uh, uh smoke. It, his uh, the entire camp ravaged and raided. He was he they used to be met by the, the, the wives and, and the them singing the songs David has slayed his thousands. Uh, uh Saul slayed his thousands, but David slayed his tens of thousands. So they were met by festivity and celebration after having conquered. But in this time around, he is met with nobody and nothing. And not only that, he cannot even rely on his own men because they are speaking of stoning him. So that's a whole other form of trouble when not only are you facing opposition in the world, but you don't have anybody to turn to in Christ for whatever reason. Maybe the church is backslidden and they don't see eye to eye with you. Or maybe they're they're jealous or they're envious or they're slandering you, they're gossiping about you. Maybe they say that you think you're holier than everybody else, and they exclude you, and so you don't have anybody to turn to. But this is exactly what David is going through. He cannot even rely on his men, and they want to stone him to death. Man, that's a lot of problems. Talk about distress and potential despair, hopelessness. just lost his family, now he may lose his life. All for what? And so this is why it's so important that we do things for God. Because if we do anything for anybody and for them alone, If we do not get the response that we want from people or circumstances or things, we're going to be met with disappointment, discouragement, and potentially even despair and hopelessness. So everything that, the da- that David was doing would not even have to be for the results. It would have to be for God and God alone. Amen? The Bible says that he, whoever puts their hope in him will not be put to shame. Not whoever puts their hope in circumstances or results or people or things will be put to shame. No, we will be put to shame if we place hope in the uncertainty of riches, the uncertainty of our um, um, career, the uncertainty of our reputation, the uncertainty of our names, the uncertainty of anything. Everything in life is subject to be, uh, to, to, um, Corruption, everything in life, it, it has a potential to fail, but God alone doesn't fail. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, that love never fails and, and God is love and he never fails. He may fail to live up to your expectations, but he will not fail to live up to his own, to live up to his own word, to live up to his own faithfulness, to live up to his own goodness, to live up to his own integrity and attributes and goodness and righteousness. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, Lord. Yes, Father, you never fail to live up, O Lord, to your goodness, O God. Jesus, I pray. Father, I pray, move, O Lord. Minister, O Lord, to the hearts of your people, O God. But they were thinking of stoning him. The very very people that were happy and excited that he had become king. Because the Lord had then rejected Saul. He'd become rejected because he failed to live up to the commands of the Lord. He did not maintain righteousness. And because they don't have enough faith, In God, they're beginning to grumble like they did against Moses. Why did the Lord bring us out here so we can die? We were better, we were well-fed in Egypt. Isn't that how we as Christians become sometimes? We have stinking hearts that grumble against the Lord, and we begin to think about how good we had it before. And the Lord is testing your hearts. You're traveling through a wilderness. You're traveling through a strange land. And you begin to think, oh man, it wasn't this difficult before. I used to have more money when I was in the world. I was more well known, or I was famous, or I was popular. But like the psalmist says, I believe in Psalm 72 or 74, he says, but when I went into the sanctuary of my God, then did I understand their fate. Then did I understand their fate with regards to the ungodly, that their feet are in slippery places that in due time they will fail and they will fall and that this is just a fleeting pleasures of sin for a season but it would all in a single moment come crumbling down there will come a time when their laughter is ended and their rejoicing has ceased, and there will come a time when uh, when tragedy and condemnation and judgment meets them Let our hearts and let our minds become sobered with reality that we have been spared by the almighty hand of God, by his grace and mercy and the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Oh, man, how we become so unthankful. How our hearts, how our hearts no longer believe our hearts become hardened. We begin to grumble. We begin to feel entitled. We begin to no longer have a thanks in our hearts over the simplicity of, of the cross, the simplicity of the gospel. Somewhere in our hearts we have believed a lie. We believed a lie that we can profess Christ and not expect to live a life of suffering as he. he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Sadly, the church today, the lukewarm church, is proclaiming peace, peace when there is no peace. There's no peace unto the wicked, saith the Lord. That's what the scripture says. And yet we want to act like everything is all, all fine and dandy. When there's a literal genocide on our soil, there's much catastrophe and destruction outside the four walls of our comfortable homes. But once again, verse 6 in chapter 30, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his own sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself, and the Lord his God. Are we in a position, have we reached a place within our Christianity that if everything came crumbling down, the first thing you're not going to go do is get, uh, uh, get an alcohol bottle. To go purchase a blunt. To go buy some weed and get high. Or go to the psychiatrist and ask for secular counseling. And let me be transparent here. The first thing you're not going to do is run out and fornicate and have comfort in sex. Can we come to a place in Christ where we are so distressed and there's nothing that we can look to that would procure for us worldly comforts, worldly strength? worldly consolation, and we can say, despite everything else that is going wrong in my life, even though I'm going through hell, and even even though I'm going through persecution, and the devil is opposing me, he's jabbing me and spearing me with everything he got, at the end of the day, I'm going to go into my prayer closet. I'm going to seek the Lord, and I'm beginning to encourage myself in the Lord my God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek his face because the Lord is my comforter. He is my light and my salvation. He is my stronghold. He is the strength of my life. And I will trust in him and my heart will not fail because it rests in a God who will not fail. Or do we retract and do we backslide? Do we lose faith and do we lose hope? Hallelujah. Can we say in the midst of the fire that even though Nebuchadnezzar throws us in and puts it up seven times hotter, that I will not bow down to every golden image. I'm going to remain firm. I'm going to remain strong. I'm going to remain steadfast in the Lord my God because it is his power that strengthens me. It is he, it is he, it is he. He upholds me. He uplifts me. He comforts me and he's all I need. He is the rock of my salvation. He is the fortress of my life. He is the anchor in every storm. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And the God who has initially called me will see me through. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I feel the spirit of the Lord. God wants to lift us up out of our problems. He wants to lift us up out of our pain. He wants to lift us up out of every trial. He wants to get us victory in battle. Despite every single person not being with us in opposition meeting us and the devil attacking us, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we may ask or think. But do we believe and do we press in? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes. See, a lot of people have a sissy Jesus, a hippie Jesus. That's not the Jesus I know about. The Jesus I know will come with 10,000s of angels, and he will come and destroy his enemies with the sword of his mouth. And it is that Christ who teaches me how to war, that teaches me to be strong and not to retract, though I f- meet foes and I meet enemies and I meet trials and I meet persecution and suffering and fire. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. A lot of us, when we've come to Christ, something was lost. You, you used to go all out. Whatever it was. The amount of time you committed to your beauty, the amount of time you committed to uh, your hobbies, the amount of time that you committed to uh, drugs or whatever it was that was your idol in your life. You served your idols more than you served Christ. And we wonder why we're not good In our faith, we're not living lives of faith and we're not living lives of strength. We're not living lives of victory because we cannot expect to put a half deposit and reap from it a maximal blessing from God. As someone had put it before, we want a painless Pentecost. We want the power of God without sacrifice. We want the anointing of the Lord without suffering. But see, the oil doesn't come out of the olive until it's crushed. And it is that oil that is used for the anointing oil. So if we want the anointing of God on our lives, what we're probably asking for is prayer, Lord, is crush me. Bend me, stretch me, break me. That I may be made over again. Amen, somebody. I know I'm not preaching to Mormons. I'm not evangelizing us here. Amen. 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 The rest are Mormons. (laughs) I'm just messy. I'm just messy. Amen. <laughs> I'm not a Mormon. Hey Amen. I'm not a Mormon. <laughs> Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. <laughs> Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, man. You know, there, I know that, I know that there's there's a, there's a sobriety when the word of God is proclaimed. We should have sober minds, but you know there's also joy. There's also joy. And you know, the, the sort of shouts that the that the people of God had offered up unto the Lord when they would gain the victory. The Bible says that, people, that they were able to be heard from miles and miles away. So there's the voice of triumph. There's a zealous voice that shouts unto the Lord. <clears throat> and so it's all right to say amen and mean it with zeal in our hearts. You know, um, I visited a the old organization I got saved in, and uh, I had an <laughs> amazing time. You know, shouting unto the Lord with all my soul, dancing, jumping up and down, shouting hallelujah. So I dare not allow the zeal that I had in former times at parties. <coughs> To be much louder than my my excitement in God's house, among God's people. See, that's the thing about Christianity. It's not a morbid life. Some of us, we, we had a bigger smile when we're drunk. And then when we come to Christ, we're always sad. We're always sorrowful. We don't have a joy in our soul. That's not the will of God for our lives. I, I'm, I'm going to break it to you. I know there's suffering. I know that Jesus was described as a man of sorrows, but do not be mistaken. There were times when, uh, uh, the, that in Paul's life, Peter's life, he describes it as a joy inexpressible, full of glory. Full of glory. In other words, I can't, I can't contain, I can't express adequately. By, by, my, by my voice and by my actions and by my gestures, how this, this joy within my soul gives me fuel for tomorrow. There's this old song that says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I don't have to live with dread. I don't have to be a prisoner to my life. I don't have to be a prisoner to fear. I don't have to be a prisoner and a slave to the devil. But it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The point I was trying to make is, do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God? Notice it didn't say the Lord strengthened him. Sometimes you have to appropriate what you know, and you have to get the moving. The Lord already delivered us with a strong and mighty hand out of Egypt without your help, and he broke Pharaoh's neck. But there's some things that we have to do. Jesus says, fill the pots, and I'll make wine out of it. All right? We want Jesus to go get the pots, fill it with water, and turn it into wine. We... We want to turn into a bless me club (laughs) where it's spiritual socialism. You put nothing in and you get everything out of everyone who did put in. No, you got to put into your faith. There's times where you know things from the scriptures and that you got to pick yourself up, but with God's power, not in your own power, but in the Lord's power and his strength and in his might. You got to pray. You got to press through. Some of us are saying, you know what? I'm not hearing from God. I'm not getting strengthened by him. I'm not seeing breakthrough. I'm not seeing anything. And it's probably because we have have a half heart and we're not earnest with the things that God has showed us in order to get a a breakthrough. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So, you know, if I'm not mistaken, the interesting thing here is that David's not a priest. And from my understanding that only the priests were were the ones that used the ephod. And so in one sense, David typifies Jesus as the priest king. Jesus, David was a, is a figure that was a shadow that points to Jesus Christ as the priestly king. Jesus is both priest because he makes intercession for us, and he's also king because he sits upon a throne. And so instead of David saying, hey, bro, you know, can you pray for me? I'm going through some troubles. I can't see. I can't pray for myself right now. He doesn't tell the priest that. He doesn't say, hey, man, help intercede for me. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with uh, having someone pray for you. But David did not live on the prayers of others. He lives on the prayers that he made himself unto his God. And he says, bring me the ephod. And so this is where faith really comes in is when everything is 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 destroyed. And God says you shall surely recover all everything. That despite that that strategic assignment of the devil to terminate everything that you've put your hand to, everything God blessed, everything the Lord anointed, everything that God granted, the Lord says that you're going to recover all and that he will surely rescue you. That you will be able to recover despite all you see is calamity. All you see is destruction. All you see is dismay. But noticed, it didn't come because he went to psychiatrist so-and-so. He went to, you know, um, you know um, he found his answer in, uh, on Google or some social club or AA or NA. The answer to the problems was seeking the face of God. That was the answer to the problem. And see, the religious and the carnally minded, they'll say that's too simple. Stop being religious. Stop being over. Don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. No, stop being so earthly minded, you're no heavenly good, because you're only heavenly good as you pray, as you seek the face of God. That's where our power comes from that's where our uh, our strength comes from that's where direction comes from that's where guidance comes from that's where wisdom comes from that's how we attack the enemy and we abort his plans you <clears throat> see we don't stay because we don't pray You know, see, because when you don't do that, you have to operate in your own power and you have to finesse and you have to control and you have to do all these other things. And I was talking with a brother just, I think it was two days ago, and he was talking about how a brother he knew was, uh, we were just talking about a unique circumstance, how this brother was dating a worldly girl. And uh, by chance, she... I guess did convert to the Lord, and the brother said he flirted to convert. <laughs> he, you guys can laugh. He flirted to convert. <laughs> Flirt to convert. You gotta face it till you make it. Face <laughs> it till you make it. The silly things we come up with as Christians. But I mentioned that. You see, if you don't wait on God, you're going to have to flirt to convert. And they might just convert you in the process. (laughs) Don't risk it, man. Don't chance it. It's not wise. It's not right. Don't be unequally yoked. Amen. Don't be unequally yoked. So... See, and I i feel like I have to sit on this for a bit. They may be good looking. They may have a lot of stuff together, even as a worldly person. You know, it's sad to say, in some cases, they may even be more emotionally mature than some Christians you know. But guess what the Lord says? N-O, no. Oh, but I can... No, you can't. But we're having Bibles, so it don't matter. What fellowship does righteousness have with wickedness? But they're so nice. Yeah, but their heart is wicked. Do you view them like God views them? The Bible says that they're enemies of God. It means like you can't be a Christian dating a non-Christian. That's what unequally yoked means. Like you can't be a Christian and try to date a non-Christian. And some of you, and I, I believe with all my heart that the Lord is telling me to say this, that means not even conversing with them. Because it's still in the back of your mind. It still makes you happy. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to marry this person. I know that, I know that. Oh, but I just love the fuzzy feelings that they give me. But when you put it into perspective, do you understand that they're a child of the devil? Do you understand that? So you're saying a child of the devil gives you fuzzy feelings. If you're not gonna cook nothing, don't turn on the stove. You know, I don't know if you've seen this picture on um Instagram, I'm sure you have. Because everyone's all googly gaga over Kim Kardashian, especially uh the, the fakes Lecrae and um Andy Minio. Um, because they and I say they're fake. The reason why they're fake is because they 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 just so happened to put on their YouTube channel and they talked about um They showed Kim Kardashian promiscuously and seductively sucking on grapes because their whack song, um, Coming in Hot, which doesn't even mention God in it, um, she played on the background, right? And so they're all like drooling over this and they're all happy about it. But anyways, um, so yeah, that's, they don't even label themselves as Christian artists. What does that tell you? I'm Christian in everything I do, man. If that means I'm a Christian flipping hamburgers, I'm a Christian cashier. Yeah, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, or I'm a Christian uh, secretary, or I'm a Christian librarian. I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Let me be straight up in front about it everywhere I go. I want the whole world to know. Don't hide your Jesus. Don't hide Christ under a basket. <clears throat> we are the light of the world. It's, it's funny because people like that say they keep it 100. But anyways, <clears throat> my point though is that this um, story on Instagram, I'm sure you guys, or meme or whatever. Yeah, it Christian. There's no evidence to convict them guilty of Christianity. But there's a um Kim Kardashian is, it shows um, it says what the world sees, and it shows you know like I, th- I think it might have been her, it might have been just someone else. Um, but then on the other side it shows like someone that looks like a zombie, and I think it says what God sees. they're corrupt. they're filthy. If Adolf Hitler had offered you a cake for your birthday or just a gift, because I understand there's probably some in here that don't celebrate birthdays. But if he just offered you a gift, if he was alive, you wouldn't accept it because it comes from filthy hands. In the same way, even though there's something very sweet to be had, reject it. reject it because it comes from a polluted source and and I I believe this is prophetic this is why I'm staying on this so long and when I say that and I, I have to always preface by saying that because I want us to well understand that I'm not trying to think of things in my head I speak by the spirit and I don't speak trying to concoct or manufacture things in my head. I want the Lord to speak to your situation and you don't have to confess whoever you are, but do not entertain that. My brothers and sisters, wait on the Lord. Wait on God, wait on him. So David, he prayed and he said, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? So notice he's asking the Lord, Lord, do you want me to go? What does that imply? It implies submission in the place of prayer. Shall I I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? This is what the Lord said. He says he answered him, pursue for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. You guys know that, you know, I'm not into prosperity gospel or anything like that, but I want to declare to you. And I say that because I'm not all about the good feel messages, but there is a place for good and encouraging messages. Pray and seek the Lord, because though devastation has come into your life, you shall recover all. You shall recover all. Why? Because you're so good? No, because the Lord is on your side and you have sought him and you have sought his counsel. You have waited on him. You've submitted to him. You've subjected yourself to him. And so now the Lord will honor you. He will lift you up from your humble estate. And the devil's not going to have the last laugh. And we, we can sing like friend heaven. No weapon formed against me. No weapon formed against us shall be able to prosper. It won't work. No weapon. <clears throat> so David led up, David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued. He and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezor. And so he doesn't even have all his men. <clears throat> and yet, by God's help and by God's strength, he's still able to recover all. He's still able to, able to pursue. There were some men that were too exhausted. And I want to say this, too. There are some people that cannot go with you the distance, and you still have to follow after the Lord. There's some people that cannot come where you're at. There's some people that cannot follow with you on the journey. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David, and they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt serving to an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites and against the which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. All right, so notice this. This is not by coincidence. Have you ever had those times when the Lord sets you on an assignment And you meet the right person at the right time in the right place. This is what's going on there. It's not coincidence. The Lord is positioning people and orchestrating events to get his will fulfilled in your life. Nothing happens by chance. And if we think it is by chance, remember what I was saying earlier about how our carnal perspectives will see a miracle before our eyes in the case of those that said, oh, you know, um, it was an angel. Oh, no, it was just thunder. No, but those who had spiritual ears to hear and spiritual eyes to see, they knew that it was the voice of the Father coming from heaven. And so if we do not interpret things spiritually, we can miss God because God is positioning us in, in, in places and with things that, uh, um, that are for our good and for the will of God in our lives. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. You know, here's the interesting thing is that people in the world can be rejoicing or your enemies can be rejoicing. They can be laughing. They can be dancing and they don't know destruction awaits. And you can be distressed and you as a child of God can be sorrowful. You can have everything go wrong in your life. And God's appointment of blessing in your life is waiting for you you. That's why we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We walk by what the Lord says and what the Spirit of God says, not what we see with our temporal eyes. Because destruction is about to meet these Amalekites, and yet they're rejoicing, assuming that they gain the victory, not knowing that destruction is going to come for them. And destruction can be in your life, and you don't know that God is going to rescue you. You don't know how everything's going to unravel. That's why we walk by faith and what the Lord says to us in our private time of prayer. And that's our headquarters for strategy and for military battle. Amen. Somebody turn to your neighbor and t- <laughs> messy. I, I I'm assuming some of us in Europe don't, Maybe don't know uh, that very much, but it's a, it's a common thing in Pentecostal churches where they say, "Turn to your neighbor and tell to your neighbor." You know. Um, I, I hope you guys can kind of understand what, what that means. <laughs> it's just kind of a church culture thing, I guess. Um, but, anyways, verse seventeen it says, "And da- and we're coming to a close." And David struck them down from twilight until the evening. <clears throat> Oh, I'm sorry, hold on. Yes, verse 17. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. I love that there's grit and there's tenacity in his voice. In other words, he he refers to himself. He doesn't say my, he says, this is David's spoil. And so sometimes You have to get gritty when you take back what the devil stole from us. If you don't take it by force, you won't take it at all. What does this show us? I I read recently that The Bible doesn't say that, doesn't promise us no weapon will be formed against us. But it promises us that every weapon that is formed against us, it's not going to work. It will not prosper against us. And so this weapon certainly was formed against David and against the people of God, but it did not work. The enemy got outwitted by the Lord. And so he recovered all. All the Amalekites were slain. And so we're just going to read the the front to uh, verse 25 and we'll end with that. Then David came to the 200 men and had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook of uh, Brook bazor And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lay, uh, lead away his wife and children and depart. And David said, you shall not do so, my brothers. With what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us and has given our hand uh, the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. So in other words, even those who were too exhausted ended up benefiting from the Lord's blessing. And what this shows is God's grace, God's grace on our lives. And I think if I can make a parallel to this, uh, a parallel of this to the gospel, it would be that the Lord rescues us and restores our life independent of any work of ourselves. And it was dependent entirely and wholly upon Christ's work on our behalf. And that is grace. That is the grace of God. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So in closing, I just want to encourage us <clears throat> whatever it is that we're going through don't lose sight don't don't lose sight of God's Provision, do not lose sight of God's goodness toward you. Do not lose sight of God's blessing toward you. And allow our eyes to get fixed on Christ. Allow our eyes not to get fixed on what it is that we see. Because what we see will deceive us. What we feel will deceive us but God's word will never deceive us. <clears throat> so we need to press in and we need to begin to ask the Lord God and say, "Lord, what it is what is it that you're wanting me to pursue? What is it that you're wanting me to recover in my life? What is it that you want to restore unto me?" We may have suffered great loss, but God wants to be able to restore. He's a God of restoration. He's the God of recovery. He's the God of second chances. He's the God of victory. He's the God of triumph. He's the God of conquer. He's the God of of forgiveness. He's the God of mending. He's the God of peace. But how do we approximate to that? It's through prayer seeking the blessing from God's hand saying lord would you would you help me will you help me will you help me oh lord so let's trust his word so let's close out in prayer <coughs> Father, I just, I come before you, Lord, and I ask of you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you help us, Father? Would you help us recover all? Father, I pray that if some of us, Lord, have made decisions in our lives that have brought devastation, or if the enemy, Lord, is bringing havoc and destruction on our lives, God, that you would equip us, Father, Or to recover, to regain, to be restrengthened and remended and made whole. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us, O God. Lord, have your way in, in the lives of your people. Father, I pray that you would keep us all in righteousness, that you would keep us all, Lord, in your holiness, to keep us all, Lord, in your love. Holy Spirit, help us to wage war. Help us to battle against the forces of darkness. Help us to understand that this is a wrestling match, Lord. It's not a picnic. Lord, help us to understand, Father, that we shall not ultimately rest until you call us home. But, Father, in the meantime, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen, that you would mend. Help us. Mend every broken heart. Mend every wounded soul. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. <clears throat> Hold on, guys. I just want to keep praying, but I'm just going to turn this off.